Hello, you're listening to the Ambition Podcast. I'm Ellen Buchan, Communications and Insights Assistant at the Association of MBAs. I spoke to Jeff Moore, Professor of Business Ethics, Associate Dean of Ethics, Responsibility and Sustainability at Durham University. We spoke about how to teach ethics to students at business schools and if business schools are themselves ethical institutions. We also spoke about some of the implications of technology on ethics, or rather the implications ethics has on technologies. So, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your career, please? Yeah, so I'm Jeff Moore. I'm Professor of Business Ethics at Durham University Business School. Uh, I've been here for over 15 years and I've been in academia for uh, over 30 years, though I did have a an industrial career um, for nearly 10 years before, before I moved into academia. Um, I'm... Uh, the author of a book called Virtue at Work Ethics for Individuals, Managers and Organizations, uh, that stems from and is in a sense a summation of my research, but written particularly for managers. Um, at the business school, my main teaching is with the MBA class, uh, where I teach a module called Sustainability and Ethics, which is a core module. Um, and I'm also the Associate Dean for Ethics, Responsibility and Sustainability, ERS for short. Um, that's what we call a transversal theme in the sense that it cuts across everything that we do. It cuts across our research, it cuts across our education, it impacts uh, the wider student experience, um, and it also impacts on our own behaviour as a business school uh, in relation to things like carbon emissions, um, gender equality, and, and so on. Um, so I have overall responsibility within the school for that, uh, for that agenda, if you like. So I'd ask, like to ask you some questions about the actual teaching of ethics. Is it something that you think can be taught or does it have to come from someone's like personal belief systems as well? Um, it definitely can be taught. Um, I mean, there's no doubt that uh, we are producing uh, graduates or seeking to produce graduates in, that, in, in terms of our the language we use in the business school, we're, we're seeking to produce graduates who are architects of a more equitable and sustainable world, uh, which is quite a high ambition, but it does indicate that we certainly feel that this can be taught, ethical leadership can be taught. Um, there's evidence that uh, young adults in their 20s and 30s uh, do change. Their, their moral development, you know, that started as, as children and, and, and went on through adulthood, through adolescence and into adulthood, continues, and therefore they are open to uh, to change uh, as they're being taught, whether we're talking about undergraduates, postgraduates, or, or MBAs who obviously tend to be older. Um, but obviously it does link into their, their personal belief systems. By by that point, um, at whatever age they're at, high, in, at higher education, they've already got a kind of personal belief system, a worldview, if you like. Um, I think part of what we think we're trying to do is to challenge that a little bit um, uh, and ask some questions about it uh, and, and ask those obviously particularly in relation to a career in business and the kind of difficulties that they might come up against uh, when they get inside a business organization. So, but yes, it, it can be taught. Um, we use, um, and it's quite common to use the case study method. Uh, I think probably 
if I were to summarize the two key messages that we're trying to get across, um, one is the consequences of unethical behavior um, on, on individuals, but also on firms. Um, and therefore, the kind of the other flip side to that is the development uh, of an ethical culture, um, which all being well will help to eliminate um, unethical practices within that. I, I think the other thing I'd, I'd say about teaching it is, uh, and, and there's a debate, as, as you would imagine, around this as to whether or not uh, one is trying to change people's views, uh, whether there are, you know, in the language, effective outcomes, behavioural outcomes from all of this. Um, I personally, I tend to steer, steer away from that. Um, you know, my, my job, uh, as I see it, is to expose them to the latest thinking and kind of let them make their own minds up. But I do. Uh, linked to uh, the book that I mentioned, Virtue at Work, I do get them to, uh, at the end of the, the, the module, this is the MBA module, get them to think about managerial virtues, those that they've used, employed themselves as managers, those they've come across, and by exposure to some of the literature in this area, um, which virtues do they think might be most important um, as they go out back into their careers. And that, you know, that inevitably is asking them questions about their own their own belief systems, uh, the way that they, they anticipate behaving, whether that's going to be any different as a result of the exposure they've had on the module. But all of that is just saying, yes, we can teach it. I think we can teach it in different ways. I think we can teach it in a way that includes an effective element that will change their behaviour potentially. What about students coming from very diverse backgrounds? Is there challenges associated with teaching ethics to such a diverse group of um, individuals? Um, I think in some ways, yes. Uh, and in other ways, no. And the yes is, of course, we have a wide range of uh, international uh, nationalities represented. Uh, they bring with them, of course, different cultural, religious um, influences on, on their thinking. Um, and and yet they're sitting in a UK classroom altogether. Um, what does that do for them? Well, obviously, they're there for the international experience. They're open, I think, to a kind of UK, but also a kind of global perspective on all of this. Um, and I think one of the one of the things um, I would certainly want to emphasise with the students is, first of all, a kind of commonality of, if you like, ethical principles um, globally. But there is a lot that people coming from different backgrounds and cultures and religions will nonetheless agree on, while also allowing for the fact that uh, there will be differences and that we should accept those local differences uh, where we think that they don't, they really don't conflict with the kind of broad international consensus on ethics, which I, which I think exists. And I think most students get that. In other words, they, they see the kind of the, the global perspective on this. They see the commonalities, um, but they will still need to link that back to their own understanding and to their own cultures when they get back, even when they get back to their own countries. So it's, it's possible to do it. It's a challenge, um, I think, but it's possible to do it. What about business schools as institutions? Do you, do they have to implement different ethical codes um, rather than corporate identities? I I think I think the answer to that is, is, it would probably overall be no. I mean, in, in the sense that I, I'm not a great fan of codes of ethics for for a starter. Um, 
And the reason for that is that codes of ethics on their own, I think, really have pretty much no impact. Um, it's only when they're embedded in a wider ethical system or a wider ethical culture that they can be useful. And that's why firms that use them use them well if they, if they have that broader uh, culture, leadership, uh, they communicate about ethics, they train people in ethics and so forth. And then the code is there as a kind of backup resource to all of that. I think that can work. I, I think for business schools and, and, and higher educational institutions more generally, we probably can rely more upon the kind of leadership and culture within the organization and less on the need for a code. So, so that's certainly... A, a, you know, as a, as a university and as a business school, you know, we have a set of values which we expect people to, to live up to. Um, but they're not really, we don't have a, a major code. I mean, we do in terms of, for example, research ethics, clearly, because that's a particular focus for us. But more generally, we don't have a code of ethics as such as an institution. And I don't think we feel, you know, we, we feel the lack of that because the nature of a university and the nature of the culture there is, I think, easier to, 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 to handle from a cultural perspective and a leadership perspective than from a kind of rigorous ethical code that everybody's expected to read and comply with. So what about the effect of COVID-19 on ethics? It's going to have such a big impact on the economy and the finance of so many organisations. Does yeah. a country's or the world's economy have an impact on how ethical organisations are? So if an organisation is doing financially well, are they more likely to behave ethically or does it not really work that way? Um, there is some evidence in the literature that um, those organisations that are doing well financially also do well in terms of CSR, corporate social responsibility, and vice versa. If you're doing well in corporate social responsibility, you do well financially. There's some evidence of a kind of uh, positive cycle there, if you like. Um, the COVID-19 situation is um, is just extraordinary. Uh, and I think um, you know most of us are still trying to come to terms with what this means. I think... Um, my own reading and, and, and understanding of the situation is that this is not divorced from uh, climate change in general. Indeed, there's, there's arguments that you know the origins of COVID-19 are in the, the things that we have been doing to the to the environment, um, to the loss of biodiversity. Uh, to the kind of protections that nature would normally put in the way of um, these kind of viruses and their ability to transmit to humans. So, um, but but I think so. So yeah, we, we, we're grappling with all of this at the moment. There are obviously um, stories, and, and I guess you know, truth behind these stories of companies and countries as it were, fighting for the resources, um, uh, you know, the, the personal protected equipment and so forth that are required to fight this. There might well be, as and when drugs and vaccines are produced, there might well be, as it were, fights between companies and, 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 and countries uh, to get access to the resources that are associated with those. So in one sense, there is the, the fairly typical, yes, if, 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 you're, if you're challenged and your livelihood and your sustainability as an organization is challenged, then ethics can easily go out of the window. Um, and, and I think we, we are seeing a little bit of that with the COVID-19 pandemic. But 
But then there's another side to it, which we're also seeing, which is the way in which organisations and governments are cooperating across this. And I think there is, you know, it, it, it's kind of deeply uh, humbling, really, to see what some organisations are, are doing in support of um, the fight against the pandemic. Um, and and the way that they are kind of putting their own self-interest very much to one side. There's a kind of global cooperative ethic, which I think is emerging. Um, and, and I think what we would all hope to see is that that is preserved through the pandemic and beyond um, and actually becomes the way that we, that we operate um, as businesses uh, and indeed as countries, uh, that, that a cooperative ethic rather than a competitive ethic uh, might well be the way forward. That sounds like a little bit of hope in this. Um... Yes, a little bit of hope, I think. I think so. That's Absolutely, yeah, 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 yeah. Another thing shaping our world is technological advances such as AI and blockchain and big data. Do you think these technologies might change how organisations approach their activities from an ethical viewpoint? I think the relationship between technology and ethics has been there for a long time. I mean, you only need to think back to, you know, developments in human fertilization, for example. Um, uh, so that's a technological development that then, you know, obviously caused enormous kind of reconsiderations of what it means to be human and, and so on. Um, and uh, and the, what tends to happen is that the ethics follows. The technology makes an advance and then oh my goodness we need to think about the ethics um we've got good examples of that at the moment i think uh, uber would be one good example where in effect the, the internet provided the technology to enable uber to come into existence and to become as dominant in a sense as it has been in some uh, has become in some in some markets um uh, another example kind of more related into big data. I was talking to the uh, a director of one of the large UK banks recently who was saying, you know, we have access, obviously we have access to individuals' accounts and we can look at individuals' accounts and we can spot people who we think are alcoholics and we can spot people who we think are drug, drug addicts just by the nature of what they buy, the nature of whether there's a lot of cash going in and out of their accounts and, and so forth. Um, but but they can't do anything with that data on a personal level, obviously, because it's confidential, um, and, and that's absolutely fine. But they do have that data now. In, and then there's a kind of, do they have a responsibility as a bank to somehow use that, at least in aggregated form, to, you know, to, to, to pinpoint, I don't know, you could say maybe we can identify in a particular area that there is, um, there's a, there seems to be, alcoholism seems to be on the rise, judging from what we know from our accounts. Now, can you make that kind of data available to the police or to society more generally to say, look, we can identify a problem. We can't tell you anything about the individuals, of course, um, but we can aggregate the data and use that. Now, now that seems to me to be a good, you know, potentially at least a good use of technology. But I think, uh, and going back to what I said earlier, that usually the technology advances and then the ethics has to follow or, or, or follows. Well, I would really love it to be not so much the other way around, but, but that these things go on together. In other words, as we start to think and discover and invent new technologies, we immediately start to think about the ethical implications of those. And we put those two developments, as it were, side by side, rather than sequentially with the ethics following and having to catch up, as it were. Um, that, I think, would be the, the best way to go. Um, 
it's not easy, I know, because in a sense you've got very different disciplines, very different subjects, very different people working on the technology and working on the ethics. But there's no reason in this kind of interdisciplinary world which we're trying to encourage um, that those two shouldn't go alongside one another. Um, and there's some, there is some evidence of that. I mean, the AI is is perhaps a good example where there are some you know, some serious. Um, academic departments and academic centres working on the ethics of AI um, as the technology itself is developed and implemented. Well, it's been absolutely fascinating talking to you. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. You're very welcome. Nice to speak with you too. I rather like Jeff's outlook on how the future could look post-COVID in the terms of business and ethics. If you'd like to hear more about ethics or other areas of thought leadership, make sure to visit www.associationofmbas.com forward slash ambition and make sure to listen out for the next podcast.